Emergency at Ravensthorpe by Tess Redgrave. A young footballer lay dying in a remote West Australian town, and all Steve Hindley had to save his life with was a rusty drill bit. The sweet perfume of eucalyptus trees wafted through the open window of the doctor's house in Ravensthorpe, a small outback town in Western Australia. Steve Hindley gazed out at rain-soaked bushland and sighed with satisfaction. Saturday, June 27, 1998, was the 41-year-old English doctor's first day in Ravensthorpe, 500 kilometres southeast of Perth, and his presence here was the realisation of a long-held dream. For years, attracted by the Australian lifestyle, he had been thinking about migrating from Cornwall. After eventually securing visas and a two-year posting in Tasmania, he came ahead of his wife and three children, having agreed at the last minute to work for a month as a locum in Ravensthorpe first. The slim, dark-haired and bearded newcomer spent his first day unpacking and meeting the local hospital staff, all of whom were welcoming. The town of 400 people felt exotic and strange with its wide streets, sprawling bungalow homes and gum trees, but Hindley savoured the new experience. Just over a kilometre away, despite the cold, drizzly midwinter weather, 150 enthusiastic spectators had turned out at the local Oval to watch the Lake King Raiders Aussie Rules football team take on the Ravensthorpe Tigers. Among the onlookers was 47-year-old Karen Sinclair, a nurse at the town's 11-bed hospital, taking a break for the first time in two years from her usual Saturday shift to cheer on two of her three sons, both players for the Raiders. Ouch, I bet that hurt, Karen said to her husband as one of the Raiders players, Hayden McGlynn, took a hard hit to the head and had to be helped off the field, walking groggily. Minutes later, she noticed the injured footballer had collapsed and now lay sprawled on the ground. Hayden's not looking too good, the blonde, bespectacled nurse told her husband, with concern in her voice. I'm going to check on him. She had known the curly-haired 23-year-old since he was five. Hayden had played with her boys as a child, and she still regularly saw him at the farm merchandising store he managed at Lake King, 60 kilometres from Ravensthorpe. He always went out of his way to greet Karen and chat with her, and insisted on carrying her goods to her car. By the time Karen reached Hayden, the team trainer was helping to manoeuvre him onto a stretcher. Are you all right? she asked, grabbing the young man's hand. No, please give me something for the pain in my head, it's so bad, Hayden said, slurring the words. Don't let me die, Karen, he pleaded. Call an ambulance on the two-way, Karen told the stretcher carrier. We've got to get him to hospital. At 5.15pm, as the ambulance left the sports oval, Hayden seemed fully conscious and was calmly looking up at Karen. I hope he'll be okay, she thought. At the hospital's small emergency room, nurses attached Hayden, still wearing his mud-spattered yellow, red and blue striped jumper, to a cardiac monitor and measured his blood pressure and pulse rate. His vital signs were normal. Still, as part of the usual routine, the nurse in charge went to call the new doctor. When the nurse finally got Hindley on the phone, she explained the young footballer's condition. We've done the routine tests, she told him. I'll be over soon, replied Hindley. But minutes later, Hayden began to toss his head about and cry out, My head! My head! Something is seriously wrong with this kid, Karen thought. A pulse oximeter clip, which gives accurate readings of pulse rate, 
attached to Hayden's finger showed that his oxygen level had dropped and the cardiac monitor showed his heartbeat had begun to slow. By the time Hindley arrived at the emergency room, Hayden's condition had deteriorated. His pulse was down to 70, and his blood pressure was elevated at 130 over 90. Hindley made a quick clinical assessment. Hayden was losing consciousness, and the doctor realised that with his pulse falling and his limbs becoming increasingly rigid, the young man was bleeding into his skull. It was the worst possible scenario. I think he has a serious head injury, said Hindley. When someone suffers a severe blow to the head, the jelly-like brain is thrust against the opposite wall of the skull, then bounces back again. This can damage veins on the dura mater, the tough outer layer of the meninges, the lining of the brain. Blood from the broken veins begins to collect inside the skull, forming a hematoma and increasing pressure on the brain. The hematoma eventually puts so much pressure on the brain that it presses down onto the brain stem, the vital control centre for the heart and lungs. The effects include a falling pulse rate, rising blood pressure and paralysis. If the pressure continues to increase, the pulse slows still more and irreversible brain damage follows. Finally, the victim's heart and breathing stop altogether. Hayden was now unconscious, his body rigid and twitching. A closed head injury, thought Hindley. This young man needs a neurosurgeon, and quickly, but the nearest is 500 kilometres away. An IV inserted into Hayden's arm trickled a strong diuretic into his bloodstream. This would help remove water from brain tissue, hopefully relieving the pressure of the hematoma. Hindley then administered a powerful steroid, also to reduce pressure, hoping to stabilise Hayden. Realising his patient needed to be moved, Hindley phoned the closest Royal Flying Doctor Service base at Kalgoorlie, 350 kilometres away. The Flying Doctor Service specialises in transporting seriously ill people from remote communities. A plane had just come in but would have to refuel. The service, Hindley was informed, would call back with an estimated time of arrival at the small airport strip 10 kilometres outside Ravensthorpe. Next, Hindley rang the Sir Charles Gairdner Hospital in Perth. He explained the situation to Dr Steve Lewis, the neurosurgical registrar, who agreed to put a surgical team together and await Hayden's arrival. In the well-equipped hospital, doctors could use high-tech imaging equipment to find out exactly where the bleeding was, then cut away a section of Hayden's skull to relieve the pressure before draining the clot and tying off veins. Keep me posted about his condition and let me know of any deterioration, said Lewis. Before Hindley could reply, a nurse called out, Quickly, doctor! He's having a fit! Hayden jerked and twitched. His head lolled back, then he stopped breathing. Working with desperate speed, Hindley extended Hayden's neck to check his airway, while Karen prepared a breathing tube for insertion into his windpipe. The tube was attached to an oxygen cylinder and a face mask and bag. This could be used as a manual ventilator to breathe for Hayden. But luckily, the shock of passing the tube into his airway caused him to start breathing again. He's deteriorating fast, Hindley realised. Finally, Hindley injected his patient with a sedative that would stop the fits. By now, light rain was tapping on the hospital's metal roof. If the weather worsened, Karen feared, the Flying Doctor aircraft might not be able to land on the small airstrip. Hayden's pulse rate was down to 50 his blood pressure 150 over 95. Hindley could see that the young man's left pupil had blown. It was widely dilated and did not respond when a light was shone into it. 
the doctor knew this was a critical turning point. It meant the brain was being pushed down onto the optic nerve of the left eye. At this rate, it was a matter of time, an hour at most, before death became inevitable. Even before that, the brain could suffer permanent damage. With the Flying Doctor Service estimating arrival time at 8.15pm, Hindley guessed it would take another half an hour to move Hayden to the plane, then at best another two hours before he got to the hospital in Perth. There isn't enough time, he thought. If I stand here and do nothing, he's going to die. Hindley was no stranger to medical challenges. In England, as well as running a general practice, he had worked as a police surgeon, sometimes being called out up to five times a night. From his training, he knew the only thing he could do to save Hayden was to make a burr hole in his skull to relieve the pressure on his brain. An ancient technique, first used by Stone Age medicine men who drilled into people's heads to release evil spirits. The procedure is usually done by neurosurgeons with specialised tools. We'll need a drill big enough to make a decent-sized hole and quickly, Hindley turned to the nurses. Knowing there were no drills in the hospital, Karen ran into the lobby where an anxious crowd of 25 people was waiting for news. Please, has anyone got a drill? Perhaps in their car, she said loudly. We need a drill bit about this size. She held up her little finger. I don't care what type of drill it is, we just need it now. 21-year-old Nathan Gardner, one of Hayden's best mates, had been in the waiting room since 5.30. For two years, the two had flattered and worked together at the same store. At school, Nathan had used a variety of tools in his woodworking class. There's bound to be some drills at the school, he thought, and set off on the run to his utility. Hayden's blood pressure was now dangerously high, at 190 over 100, and his pulse rate was 30. He could suffer cardiac arrest or stop breathing any minute. At 7.30pm, Hindley phoned Lewis in Perth, told him he intended making a burr hole and asked for advice on the best place to drill. Without a CT scan, he could not know the clot's precise location. Lewis suggested that Hindley drill just above the patient's ear, where no major blood vessels would be in the way. Even if it goes wrong, you're doing the right thing, the neurosurgeon assured him. Time is crucial. While waiting for a drill, a nurse began to shave the left side of Hayden's head. The clot must be on the side the pupil has blown, Hindley told the nurse. We'll go in there. If we miss, we'll try again further back. Using a tape measure, Hindley bent over Hayden and marked out a spot with a pen. Realising he'd need a key to the high school woodworking shop, Nathan roared along gravel backroads to the woodwork teacher's house. It was in darkness. Nathan sped to another teacher's house. It, too, was dark. Finally, he found a teacher with a master key. At 7.35pm, he braked his ute outside the hospital and dashed inside, clutching two hand drills. The larger of the two, about 40 centimetres long, had a crank handle similar to the wheel spanner motorists use for removing lug nuts when changing tyres. The bit, almost a centimetre in diameter, was dirty and rusty. This will do, said Hindley. It's about the right size. Karen, would you scrub it clean, please, and swab it with antiseptic? We haven't got time to sterilise it. It was a long time since Hindley had held such an implement. He carefully positioned the rusty point of the bit above Hayden's left ear. He placed the round cap at the base of the drill against his stomach and began to turn the handle. It squeaked as the drill bit into Hayden's head. In the back of his mind, Hindley knew that plenty of things could go wrong. Even if Hayden survived, he might have already suffered brain damage. 
the unsterilized bit could expose him to infections of the brain, like meningitis or encephalitis. Or the position he'd chosen could miss the hematoma. Then he would have to drill more holes, wasting precious minutes. As she watched intently, dread gripped the pit of Karen's stomach. She had seen this procedure once before. The patient had died. Hindley continued to crank the drill as four, then five minutes passed in silence. Suddenly Hayden flinched. At the same time, Hindley felt resistance slacken as the bit eased through the bone and into the skull. Hindley slowly unscrewed the drill bit. For a second, nothing happened. Then a dark clot of blood shot out from the five-cent-sized hole in Hayden's head. Blood continued to ease from the skull as Karen glanced at the pulse oximeter. It rose a few points and Karen felt a surge of elation. But suddenly it dipped again. Another large clot began to well out onto the bedsheet. Again the pulse picked up, to 40, then 50, then 60 beats a minute. Karen's hope began to rise again. Blood pressure's coming down, she said. It was now 130 over 85, close to normal. She pressed the unconscious man's left arm and thigh. Some of the stiffness had gone. Hindley put the drill aside and the tension drained from his arms and shoulders. He had bored directly into the hematoma at his first attempt. There was only one further thing to do. Hindley administered a large dose of antibiotics to protect Hayden from infection. The young man could still die before he reached Perth, but he had been given another chance. Hayden arrived at the Perth hospital just on midnight. A CT scan showed his hematoma had been caused by two ruptured veins inside the dura mater. A neurosurgical team operated immediately, draining more blood and tying off the veins. Six days later, Hayden was sitting up in bed, smiling. As the news of Hayden's recovery spread, the town of Ravensthorpe treated Hindley as a hero. In the street, strangers shook his hand. In the pub, locals insisted he keep his hands in his pocket as they competed to buy him drinks. Hayden McGlynn spent five weeks at a Perth rehabilitation centre before returning home to recuperate. He has completely recovered and keeps the life-saving drill in his bedroom. Several weeks after returning home, Hayden revisited Ravensthorpe Hospital to thank Karen and the other nurses. He also rang Hindley in Tasmania, where the doctor had taken up his posting. Thanks for saving my life, mate, he said. Without that old drill in you, I'd be dead. Dr Michael Besser, President of the Neurosurgical Society of Australasia and Head of the Department of Neurosurgery at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney, agrees. Dr Hindley undoubtedly saved Hayden McGlynn's life. He made an accurate diagnosis and had the guts to act on it. Modestly, Hindley says he was just doing his job. It was a team effort where everybody pulled their weight. We all did our best for Hayden and I'm proud to have played my part in that. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia.